I'm not too driven yeah. by a flat tire, but I mean, if it seems like, you know, I've, I've had six flat tires in a day and I've only got four tires on my car. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm your host, Daniel Fox, here with uh, my great friend, who's also a great husband, great father, and now black belt, Thomas Belzamo. Uh, how are you doing today, Tom? Good. I'm yeah. doing well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, uh, you, milestone. Milestone. <laughs> like uh, crest at the mountain, or what do you call it? You, uh, you reached the peak uh, there. Anyway, just reached a neat, uh, I think, a neat uh, goal point there with uh, the black belt, and I congratulate you on that. Thank you. I yep, appreciate I'm that. I'm excited for you. I yep. survived. Yep. So I'd just be, I guess I'd be the leather belt. And uh, you'd be the black belt. Uh, <laughs> that's about all I can claim. So anyway, um, I don't remember where I was going to go from that. Oh, you know, I was going to say, uh, for those of you jumping in, I wanted to welcome you to our conversation. And I want to thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash reason together for your support and for helping us to to keep this uh, this conversation going uh, for our generous supporters again over at patreon.com slash reason together and this is a conversation between uh, Tom and I and we love your feedback we want you to give us your thoughts uh, if you have a disagreement if you have a topic suggestion you can email that to reason together podcast at gmail.com and Tom I was just thinking um, here recently uh, about reasoning together, uh, how different that is and how rare that is in our day and how and how that's distinct from a debate. You know, people can say, well, I can learn from a debate. You get two guys who, you know, they, they get up and they discuss opposite sides. But, you know, when, in a debate, those guys are already settled and firm and studied on their positions, yeah. and they're not going to be moved. No. But the the idea of reasoning together is we come into it trying to find the same end. We're, we're trying to work together to find the right answer to the questions that we're asking. We want to be on the same page, yeah. and, and we want to find answers to questions that people have about all sorts of things in life, and coming, of course, from a biblical perspective. So uh, this is really a valuable thing, and again, I want to thank our patrons, thank our listeners for, for joining us today. Yes, and speaking of patrons, um, yeah. we have a new patron to announce— Wonderful. Yes. Welcome, Tim, to the Tim. Uh, patron fold. Yeah, welcome to the club. Thanks so much. That's, uh, that's two Tims in a row. I think our last patron was, <laughs> was Tim. So now we have two Tims. Wow. Yeah. Maybe we should make like a Tim tier. <laughs> you have to be like the elite tier, the Tim tier. The <laughs> yeah, yeah. you have to be All named right. Tim to join it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, well, thanks, Tim. Yes, yeah, so we appreciate you coming on board. Um Encourage anyone else who uh, has been an avid listener for a while, who appreciates this content, jump over to patreon.com slash reason together and sign up like Tim did. And uh, we'd be grateful. Last episode, we talked about um, how submissive is too submissive. Yeah. And and what was that other, um, you, had a, you had a word um, on our last one. I can't remember what it was. Um, um, on, the t- on the title. Oh, the title, Laser Squirrels. <laughs> I, I don't know. I have no explanation. <laughs> we mentioned it at some point in the podcast, but it's, see, I don't remember what else it was that we discussed, but 
I know that today we're going to have another good discussion, and it's probably going to be kind of varied in what we're talking about. But before we jump in, is there any feedback or or listener comments that we need to deal with? Um, well, let's see here. We do have uh, a question from our new patron, Tim. Do we want to go over that one? Sure. First. Okay. Yeah, I, I, don't, I haven't read it. <laughs> you oh, give me that. Okay. <laughs> so it, it's okay. Yeah, new to me. <laughs> All right. This is from our newest patron, Tim. He says. If you've already dealt with this in a previous episode, feel free to just reference that post. Um, I don't remember if we did or not. So. Yeah, 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 well, I was yeah. just thinking I something I was thinking about talking about. We may have dealt with before, but we're on like almost episode 100. Yeah. We're allowed to repeat ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. so. So Tim says here, this morning I read Matthew 5, 7. What were vain repetitions in the cultural context of Jesus' time. Do we sometimes make these repetitions in our public prayers? James 5.16 talks about fervent prayer. Is it possible that we sometimes think that, is it possible that what we sometimes think is fervent prayer may actually be vain repetitions? For example, I have sometimes found myself fervently praying about a specific burden on my heart and realized that I was basically repeating myself over and over again, just using a dozen different ways to do it. Yet Jesus (laughs) said, your father knoweth what ye have need of, i.e. repetitions aren't necessary. I think the lack of repetition in Jesus' prayers of Matthew 5, 9 through 13, and John 17 may shed some light on this. There's some good stuff there. Yeah, that's interesting take. I hadn't thought of it that way before. And so essentially what Tim is saying is that a vain repetition might be praying for the same thing multiple times. Not, I think that the way we typically, at least the way I would typically take that, is to say repeating certain verbiage, mm-hmm. uh, almost like a rosary. Now, yeah. I know that we don't do that, but we might, someone might, you know, get into a pattern of saying, and I think in a, to, I guess to go right to the to the to his original question, I I haven't done study on this uh, to where I could say yeah this is absolutely what it was. However, my take is that probably in a Jewish context um, there were certain benedictions maybe taken from obviously the Old Testament mm-hmm. scriptures that would be repeated as prayers. Maybe they're psalms or maybe they're certain uh, you know passages from the Old Testament that uh, whether they heard it in the synagogue or whether it was a, a, you know, a regular repetition in the synagogue, um, they, they would say those. And of course, the, the problem with that would be that in time you get so used to what you're saying, it kind of becomes mindless yeah. well, that you're really saying it without meaning. I think the issue with vain repetitions is not the fact that they're repetitions. It's the fact that yes. they're vain. Yes. Because, um, I mean, frankly, you know, if you tell somebody, man, I, I, I really, I, I sympathize with you over this problem you're having. I'm going to pray for you every single day. Well, that's a repetition, is it not? Mm-hmm. It's just repeated sure. in a, a bigger interval than sitting down in five minutes and praying the same thing, you know, five times over. Um, so the fact that it's repeated every day or even every half day or every two hours or every minute. The fact that it's repeated is not the problem. The fact is that it is vain. Right. And, and even you see that, I believe in, uh, in what we call the Lord's prayer or the model prayer when he is, uh, you know, giving them this, this, um, 
the structure, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Well, it's kind of assumed that, that something like that would be prayed every day, because uh-huh. it's asking for that day's bread. And even asking that exact request every day, God, would you provide our, our bread, our sustenance for today? Well, you're probably going to verbalize that the same way every yeah. day, um, and you're going to say it every day, because it's the daily bread that you're asking for. Um, so... Uh, to go back to your point, it's vain because it, it, the vanity is the problem of it, and I think that really uh, has everything to do with the heart of the prayer. Right. Um, so I I like um, to use certain phrases when I'm praying, but uh, but you have to be conscious of what you're saying. You have to say sure. them uh, with with an intentionality. So like so to say. You know, Lord, you said in Psalm 127, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I'm going to ask, I want to ask you to build this house. And you said with, with, uh, you know, with, with, with me, um, all things are possible or, you know, without me, uh, however that, that phrase goes. Anyway, using certain phrase, you know, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy heart. Search me, O God, yeah. know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Those are those are scriptural, and I, I enjoy sure. using those, but what makes them vanity, you know, what what I might like there, somebody else might say, oh, that sounds like a good prayer, I'll repeat that, and not really even be thinking through it, and it did, then it does become, an, in essence, a vain repetition. But I, I wouldn't say that repeating a prayer, like God never wants me to say a prayer twice— Uh, Because that would be the logical conclusion of that argument, is that once I've stated it, God knows my need, he doesn't want me to say it again. Well, then then in order um, uh, to—what's the passage? Um, Praying always, you know, uh, with all prayer and supplication. Or um, uh, what's the well-known one? I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Praying, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Um, That would mean that we have to have constantly a string of new requests— yeah, you know, throughout the day as we're communicating with God, it's always something new. Well, but a lot of the things in life might be, and, and and it is maybe a constant, you know, communication with God as it were, continually throughout the day, each day. But how many of those things are going to be the same? Yeah. How many times is it going to be asking God for patience again, or for endurance, yeah. or for wisdom, or sure. you know? Um, and so it's yeah. not so much asking a second time as much as the vanity of what I'm saying. Right. And I do think emptiness. I do think even that repetition can be exemplified in fervent praying. I think that is certainly possible. Um, the idea mm-hmm. that repeating mm-hmm. something more than once emphasizes it, um, though it's in a different context than praying, you know, at least, you know, in, in our in our our hermeneutics and in our interpretation of scripture, we often say when the Bible repeats something more than once, <laughs> it is doing what? It is emphasizing, emphasizing. something. Yeah. So to maybe take that same principle over into our praying, to, to repeat something more than once is not a vain repetition and can actually be a means of emphasizing something, even though it's completely unnecessary to repeat it to the Lord. In, right, and I mean, in the sense of God's knowledge of something, we don't have to pray at all. It's True. not like we're informing him uh, of our needs, and so like, God, I know you didn't know this, but but yet he still wants us to pray. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what about Psalm 136, when we think about worship and say, well, this is a psalm, and it was a song. Okay, but nonetheless, if it's expressed about God, or we could even 
say, you know, as part of a worship to God, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Well, like every verse for 26 verses says, for his mercy endureth forever, for his mercy endureth forever, yeah. for his mercy endureth forever. That's like saying, you know, the chorus of a song is a vain repetition. You know, but if I'm, if I'm, if I'm from my heart, you know, I'm repeating that. It's a matter of worship, and I'm emphasizing it, but he's merciful, and his mercy endures forever. It doesn't have to be vain, though it's a repetition. Yeah. What do you think about the statement that praying is more for the one praying than it is for the Lord? Have you heard that before? Yes. Uh, yes, I have. Any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, yeah. The thought, <clears throat> the thought on that is that um, do I do I change do I change God in any way by prayer? Now, some would argue that you do. You know that God was going to do one thing, but you prayed enough, and He said, "Well, I guess I'll do this." Well, you have to kind of question that at a point to say, well, can I, you know, am I really, am I exercising that over God? Um, so, so in that way, you'd say, well, if I'm not really changing God, then it must be changing me. And yet, and yet, is yeah. God withhold? Is God, does God have blessings ready for those who ask? He's ready to give, and when we when we express our need and we recognize our need, there's the the me part of it that it's for me. I recognize my need, and so I call out to God. And when I do, that then fits according to God's design. He goes, Ah, He's interacted with me as I want Him to. Right. He's He's expressed Himself as I wanted Him to. He's learned what He wanted to. Now I can bless Him. But it doesn't mean that God ever changed who He was, or that God was going to do something different. And now I changed His course of action. Right, like that that phrase, uh, "Prayer moves the hand of God." Um, yeah, I've never been too keen on that phrase, and. Yeah. Uh, I I like what Thiessen said about it, and I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head, but he said something like um, <clears throat> that in in God's in God's decrees or in God's plans, he's identified things that he will answer for you, whether you pray for them or not. Some hmm. things that he's decided he will not answer until you pray for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you necessarily... <laughs> moved the hand of God yourself. It's that he's already decided in his eternal counsels that I'm not going to do this for Daniel until he prays. And if he does Mm -hmm. not pray, I will not do this for him. And he's already determined that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, and I would kind of agree with that. That's sort of what I was saying too, is that the way that God has built it, then you're basically meeting the requirement. Maybe is not quite the way I want to say it, but you're, you're, Okay. Yes, you're responding to God like He wants you to, and He then, you know, by the system, by the way that's set up, He can bless you in a way that He wouldn't have had you not responded in that way. Yeah. So, I wouldn't say that it's for God. Um, it's I would say it is for man to. It's an expression of the need that he feels. Um, yeah, and, and rightly, I don't mean just like that. That yeah, that, that he rightly feels his his own dependency, his own weakness, and his. His 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 need of something from God that he can't provide for himself. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, you know. and in addition to it being, um, for lack of a better word, an outlet for the finite heart and mind to rely on the infinite heart and mind. In addition to Good. that, it is an exercise as well. It is a discipline. It is something that that yes. can teach a Christian faithfulness and dependence and reliance on the Lord. Well, and I. 
I appreciate what you just said because you said an outlet, how do you say, an outlet for, you know, the finite heart to the infinite. And that brings me to to, uh, mention something else, that we think of prayer as a request. Mm -hmm. It always has to be a request, you know, like, okay, well, I can't really come to God until I have a list, you know, or, oh, oh, now I have a request, I'll talk to God. But isn't prayer just communication? Sure. At the same time with God, and so there, we that our finite hearts can have again a, a continual line of communication with the Lord, absolutely um, throughout the day to just express uh, our our heart to Him. Or and, and I guess a lot of times it is asking, but but even just to praise Him, yeah. um, to talk to talk to Him, to express our you know ourselves to Him. It doesn't have to simply always be a God. I need God. I need right. God. Right. I, I need. It, but 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 it, more than that, yeah. There can be praise. There can be worship. There can be intercession. Um, what else? What what else can there be in prayer? Wow! Praise, um, worship, intercession, request. Um, I, I don't know what to call it exactly because I, I guess it would really be paired with a request. But as I know, God knows how you're feeling. But just say, "Oh Lord, I'm so overwhelmed." In in a sense mm-hmm. that that is a request that I'm I'm somehow asking for help, right. you know, or right. or Lord, I'm so frustrated. But you know, just like a wife might come into her husband and she'd be like, "Oh man, this has been such a rough day." Uh, it, she's not necessarily saying, "Would you sit down, please, and give me all the answers to how I should have responded to everything?" But but she's communicating with you because you're the one that she can vent to. Mm-hmm. You know, you're the one that knows her better than anybody else, and she just wants to tell the person that she loves that she's having a hard time. Now, of course, that kicks in for you to say, how can I comfort her? How can I help her? Right. You know, and and, and in a way, I I see we could do the same for the Lord, to to just have that kind of communication that he's the one that we love, he's the one that knows us better than anybody else— and we can express things that, yeah, probably second, you know, secondhand are are yeah. a request, meaning we need something. But, um, uh, but I, I'm trying to eliminate just the thought that, um, you know, once I have once I have a request, like a formal request, then I approach him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? But it's just a communication. Yeah, and I know that some, and and I tend to go along with this, differentiate between, and the act of praying and the attitude of praying. And, and the okay. attitude of praying be more like being more like what you described a moment ago, where it's just a constant open communion or communication, as you said, with the Lord. There's not necessarily, okay, I'm sitting down to pray right now. Um, the attitude y- yeah. of prayer means I'm, I'm in communion with God as I go. Um, but the act of praying is where I actually set aside time to do this, and I request things, and I praise, and I worship, and I supplicate, mm-hmm. and I intercede, and so on. Mm-hmm. And I guess I could see that, um, uh, as somebody said, you know, practicing the presence of God. I mean, just recognizing mm-hmm. all the time, wherever I'm at, you know, I'm just aware. I'm aware of, of, of God's presence and uh, and you know, and, and of his desires and things like that, just as I might, you know, would be of a friend. If I, if I, if I meet you in the hall, I nod, or if you're standing in the classroom, you know, I'm aware that you're there and, and I know that you're there and, um, you know, and, and occasionally I may say something specifically to you, but I know that you're there. Well, in a similar way, um, you know, we might acknowledge God's presence and it may not be this formal act of that, oh, I'm talking to you specifically yeah. and asking you for this specific thing, but just, yeah. 
uh, kind of goes. Have Have you ever seen Fiddler on the Roof? Yes. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, that that example always comes to mind when people talk about having an open communion with God and and talking with God. Not oh. not that I'm necessarily praising the movie for being a great example of prayer, because right, there are right, times it's not. No, it's not because <laughs> he's because he's really. Uh... I don't want to, is blasphemous the right word? I mean, the way he talks to God he's is too really, colloquial. Uh, he's just very uh, yeah. too casual with God yes. To, yes. to to a point at times where he's almost cynical with God. And uh, I, I don't yeah. really like right. that. And I don't think but that that's, be. but at the same time, he kind of just had the, that ability. I mean, you're saying, but he's at the same time pictured that he just stopped where he was and yeah. said something to God. God is someone he thought to speak to throughout the yeah. day during things as if he was a friend walking beside him. Yeah, which, yeah, which that is a good yeah. aspect to think. <laughs> um, good. Did we kind of... Yeah, I think we got that, that? one. Um, we, yeah. we ended up taking a, a tangent there, as as is our custom. But uh, <laughs> But I think we hit Tim's question. Uh, as yeah. best we could. So thank you. But, you know, that, that happens. Yeah. Uh, that happens when you reason together a lot of times because uh, a lot of times coming to a right and a full and a balanced answer requires more context. Mm-hmm. And it requires trying to make those connections outside of that conversation uh, to where they might apply in other areas too. So, yeah. Um, Let's see here. Uh, a quick one that just that just popped in my mind shortly before we started is, and, and this is something I'm looking for listener feedback here, because you all, I imagine almost every listener has an experience with this, and I would really like to know from your perspective um, what you think about this. But when we're talking about a funeral, um, what, and preferably if you've you've experienced uh, you know a funeral of of a family member say or someone close, and people are coming to you to give you condolences, what what do you want to hear at a funeral or what is what is a good thing to say? Okay, we uh, we we say to our kids, you know, when you go in, you say, "I'm sorry for your loss," and that's a good you know standard. Uh, response and that's fine, but do you ever feel like you get to a funeral and you just you don't know what to say? You know, what I mean, these people are grieving, and you wish you had something. You wish you had something, you know, comforting or just you know profound or what you know, not profound, but just something just perfect to say. What do you say? Because um, I know that there's been times when people say the wrong thing. Oh yeah, yeah, and and so, but I but I think it's probably different from person to person, what, what they would find comforting yeah, uh, or what they feel like is appropriate. So that's why I'm looking for feedback. What, what, what do you think? What would I say or what would I want people to say to me? Yeah, either way. I mean, what, what do you find best to say from your experience and what would you want people to say to you? I don't know. I mean, maybe, uh, maybe I'm not too picky or, or perhaps maybe I uh, can't really wrap my head around it since I'm not presently in that situation. But yeah, if someone yeah. came to a funeral and spoke to me and I was the one grieving, um, I think just the fact that they're there and that they didn't say something utterly stupid, I think that's <laughs> probably enough for me. Yeah. It, their presence said something. Right. Their presence says <laughs> a lot. Yeah. And I think that's what some people would say is that it's not 
sometimes sometimes maybe the less you say or saying nothing is okay. I mean, yeah. you have to probably somehow interact, but the fact that you just sit there and grieve with them yeah. means a lot. Yeah. But uh, but commenting on why God took them home um, oh. is not helpful. You know, I like see to where say, you're going, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, you know, God had to take him home, or 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 vice versa. Well, you know, God just loved him so much. You know, he was he, he wanted him heaven in, in heaven more than he wanted him yeah, here or something. Yeah. And or you're this like, is part of that, God's plan. Oh boy, um, and say that that I don't know, that really helps. You know, a lot. No, and even if it might be true, um, it's not. Yeah, not overly a helpful thing to say. And th- and that goes because I was thinking about this question. And I thought, well, how do we tie it back to scripture? And that's partly where is that scripture has principles of speech, that your words uh, are powerful. And when you think about, um, you know, principles of speech, one is that um, there's, it's not just what you say, it's how you say and when you say Uh it. Timing is actually something, Yeah, you know? So maybe what you're saying is actually a fact, you know, or is factual, but it may not be helpful. Yeah. And it may not be comforting because it's really not timed well. Yeah. Are you familiar with the Jewish practice of sitting Shiva with someone? The the name sounds a little familiar, but yeah. uh, enlighten me here. One of the earliest references to it, even before Israel, uh, before the nation of Israel, was likely in the case of Job. So I think the practice stems somewhat from mm. that example, even though that predates Jewish culture. Um, sure, yeah. But uh, right. it's the idea of sitting with someone to mourn with them quietly that you don't mm-hmm. speak unless mm-hmm. they speak. And this is actually still done to this day, uh, though it's not exactly done in the same way as Job's friends did it. Um, people will come over to the mourner's house. They're not going to stay there for seven days. That's not, that's not what they're going to do. They'll stay yeah. for as long as they feel welcome there. And and they really don't talk about anything unless unless you, the mourner, bring up something to talk about. Then they'll talk about that. But they're not going to change the subject or bring up something, and they're really not going to speak much unless spoken to. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's neat. That's neat. Um, one other thought crossed my mind is, you know, oftentimes when when you know it's a pretty solid Christian family, um, and in certain scenarios, let's say, you know, we're talking about an elderly couple, they're, and, and I mean, they're, they're solid, they're grounded Christians, He's been battling cancer or something like that, and and you go there and you say, I'm, "I'm I'm sorry for you, but not for him," you know, meaning I'm glad he's not in pain mm-hmm. anymore. We all know that that he, he was struggling. Life wasn't he didn't have a quality life anymore. And wow, think about it. He's with the Lord now, and though we miss him, uh, and 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 it, when somebody I feel like is is grounded, they can say, "This is a time of rejoicing," yeah, or, or this is a time of you know, remembering. It yeah. doesn't have to be this this terrible grieving. But even at that, you probably need to be careful sure. with that statement to say, you know, I'm not, you know, you know, he's in a better place and I'm glad, you know, that he's not in pain. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess like... I mean, can we take a minute to just kind of really recognize the difference there, like you're pointing out, between the funeral of a genuine Christian with their Christian mm-hmm. family and yes. other types of funerals, um, because I've been to I've been to all different kinds. And when you go to a, a funeral 
of of a truly saved person with with family members that are mature god-fearing people um mm-hmm. born again people it's really not a depressing place um mm-hmm. and it's almost staggeringly joyful at times where you, you wonder is this a funeral <laughs> they seem to be too calm and, and they seem to be enjoying themselves <laughs> too much um, because there's really a genuine uh, knowledge of, of salvation and there's a genuine hope of heaven there. And uh, there's it really removes the sorrow from the situation. Yes, it, it makes all the difference in the world. It seems like when you know, uh, when you know the eternal destiny of someone yeah. uh, in a positive way. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, but I hope we get some feedback on that too. Um, yeah, definitely. What other what other folks think? And and, and maybe uh, if you've also heard some people say things at funerals that shouldn't be said, give us some examples of those too. Yeah, you know, I've talked I've talked uh, to a couple people in the past about a different issue, not about a funeral, but saying, you know, did you realize this, or you know, you did this, and they'll say, I didn't, I didn't even think about, it. I, I didn't realize that that was a problem. Well, you know, maybe you'll share some things that you've heard at a funeral, and we'd go, "Oh, wow! I didn't, I didn't think about it being taken that way." Yeah. Well, that would be helpful. Yeah, definitely. Yep. You've got an interesting right, question on here. Um, the okay, one at the bottom yeah, there, I like that one. You want to do that? Yeah, one? that's uh, yeah. Let's give it a, let's give it a shot. Right. Um, and what this stemmed from, uh, and I don't not necessarily attacking the statement. But he said, uh, somebody said, you know, Satan, uh, maybe it's like the idea that I'm, I'm, in my, I'm in my morning Bible time, that's what I like to call it instead of my devotions, but I'm in my morning Bible time, and, uh, and I'm, you know, I try, I'm trying to read, or I'm trying to pray, and the idea is that Satan distracts you. You're thinking of the ball game, you're thinking of work, you're thinking of all the things you got to do today, you're thinking about what you watched last night. You were thinking about this. You're thinking about that. Okay, but my, I'm, taking, uh, uh, I'm taking issue with that a little bit to say, is Satan really distracting me? Because my thought is, isn't there really something humanly that I can do to condition my focus? Um, you know, yeah. I, could, I can put myself in certain place to reduce uh, uh, distraction. I can, yeah. um, I can you know, um, arrange my activities in such a way. I can live in, in an organized way that things aren't always on my mind or yeah. that I'm not uh, distracted by certain thoughts. So I feel like, at least at times, um, my distraction is a very human thing. Right. It's not a—but but could there be a scenario where Satan— distracts me like does something i guess you know yeah so then go go ahead i was gonna say i'm not so sure that satan has that much influence over the christian mind okay um to be able to to pop things into your head at will Um, well that's a good point that's a very good point about that i I mean but frankly i think to always blame something like that on the devil is to deny the reality that there is plenty in me already that the devil yes. doesn't need to do a whole lot of work, <laughs> okay? Um, if if the devil's influence was absent, there's enough in every human being alone for them to, to totally corrupt themselves, uh, let yes. alone distract oneself during their morning Bible time. Yes, good. And so we talk about the flesh or, you know, that unregenerate, sin-bent 
you know, part, well, I say unregenerate, the, um, <laughs> the seven. old nature, the old nature, the sin bent part of us, uh, those desires towards, towards wrong things, you know, that's kind of in, inbuilt and ingrained, uh, and, and, but like even even a step above that, and I think you kind of you, you mentioned this that despite my my sinfulness, there's even just a a human effect to things that I do and the choices that I make that really can be solved in a human way um, by by certain good habits. And I, and I don't mean yeah. by that to sound what neo-orthodox or whatever to say that you know we are the solution to our problem. We meet, need to blah blah blah. Um, but just to say that like you that we don't over attribute things to satan because when we do what we're actually doing is we are going to we're going to approach the solution from a different angle and probably be not not as not be as effective right say oh lord i don't want to be distracted so please you know bind satan during my bible time so that i'm not distracted well guess what you might still be distracted mhm because it's not a Satan Satan thing, right? And so now, now you're just being distracted because you're you, and and you've got things on your mind, and they're not being you know handled appropriately or whatever. Um, and so then we might the next step is, well, man, God's not answering my prayer. I'm in a, oh, I'm in a spiritual battle here. I'm trying to focus, and Satan's distract. Well, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. You know, maybe I'm looking at the solution from the wrong angle because I'm attributing it to the wrong factors. Right. Maybe there's something else I could be. Uh, going at, but the question goes back to so so if sometimes if Satan could distract, and maybe that's a, a poor example of it. How 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 can I identi- how can I identify that something is satanic, or that Satan is causing something yeah. versus he's not. Hmm. Right, you know, yeah. Uh, how, how, did did Satan cause that storm? Did that so that that knocked out the lights in our church in the middle of the service? Did Satan cause my car to break down? Did Satan make me depressed? Did Satan, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I do and know what you're how, how, say say what well, uh, can 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 we say that that's Satan? And if so, I mean, like, what can we actually point to and say, oh, yep, yeah, mm-hmm, that's a that's a biblical cue. Boom, that's satanic. Yeah. Or are we like majorly attributing to Satan? stuff that he doesn't do or can't. I don't know. I, I tend to think that um, as a whole, as human beings, we're terrible at this. Um, <laughs> and at, 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 dis, at deciphering who's causing what. And and maybe I've got Job on mm. the brain right now because I'm uh, preaching through the book. But that's probably the go-to prototypical example in Scripture of a human being getting it wrong because he thinks he's being judged by God unfairly. But what's actually mm-hmm. happening is a satanic attack. And yeah. it seems like right. the thrust of the attack throughout the book is an effort to get Job to curse God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So identifying that as a satanic attack, I would say comes from what is the driving thing that this quote-unquote attack is pushing me towards. Um, And in Job's case, it was to distrust the Lord. Um, Mm -hmm. And I wonder if maybe that's at least one example of a means by which we can identify that an attack is satanic, is that it is driving me to think differently in a negative way about my God. Well, okay. 
And I, I see what you're saying, but then I wonder, honestly, anytime something difficult happens, the human tendency is to doubt God, you know? So we get a flat tire on our car and we're like, oh, this, oh, oh no. Oh, what am I going to do? Well, immediately we like, we doubt, we don't go, oh, you know, God's got this under control. We're good. Mm. You know, God's going to provide something. That's not the average response. Yeah, that's fair. So it, so if it makes them immediately doubt God, We'd say, well, that's satanic. You know what I'm saying? Well, by that, by that well, definition. the difference between a flat tire and what, what happened with Job is that it was a relentless push in the story mm. of Job. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not okay. too, okay. Uh, I'm not too driven yeah. by a flat tire. But I mean, if it seems like you know, I've I've had six flat tires in a day, and I've only got four tires on my car. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, a lot of my spare, and it's flat, and I go buy one from the store. And give it <laughs> flat. Yeah, and you know every you know it, where it just seems like attack after attack after attack, and yeah, every yeah. single one is another barrage attempting to push me to think differently about my God in a negative way. I, mm. I'd say there's a pretty fair bet that that would be a satanic attack. Uh, That's interesting. Though in Job's okay. case, he didn't know because he no. he knew virtually nothing about Satan. Nothing. Yeah, but. You know, that leads to another tremendous question. Had he known it was Satan, is there any different way he could have responded other than simply trusting God? You know what I'm saying? We say, well, if it's a satanic attack, then maybe I should, I should, you know, call on God to bind Satan, or, or worse yet, I, I bind Satan myself by the power of the blood, and, or whatever, whatever. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and this, all like, like prayers against Satan wouldn't, but is there a better response? Like, if, if I don't know whether this is satanic or not, would it really make a difference in my response? I should just trust the Lord, do right, ask him for help, ask him for wisdom, ask him for strength. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I think in the case of Job specifically, it would have made a difference in his life, in his response, if he would have known it was a satanic attack. I think that would have been the most, the hugest aha moment in all of the Bible, because this man is so desperate and so confused by what seems to be an injustice by a God who he knows is just. I mean, that's yes. that's the whole book yes. right there. And if he knew it was a satanic attack, I think it totally would have changed his response. Well, you're right. It would have changed his response in, in terms of, of, of his trust in the Lord to go, oh, this isn't from God. Okay, I get it. But as far as you know, would he had some sort of prayer against Satan? No. I think about the, impreca- the imprecatory Psalms. And and, mm. and maybe and, and and I'm not that I have this thorough knowledge here, but just thinking through it, you know, God's like you know, David's, uh, you know, cast down my enemies, you know, kill them, drive them in the dirt, or whatever. And I'm not trying to be irreverent with it, but I'm just saying I can't without the exact wording. He's basically right. just saying cast them down, annihilate them, whatever. But does he ever attribute all of his enemies and all of their work against him? And all of their, you know, bloodthirstiness and their corruption and their evil speaking, does he ever attribute that to Satan or does he just acknowledge they're enemies? God, take care of it. Yeah. You see what yeah, I'm driving I at? I do see that what it's you're driving like, at. Yeah. yeah. And that, I guess, goes back to the, the point we began with is that there is enough in human nature alone to be anti-God and anti-God's people. Um, yes. There's, oh, there's yeah. enough there. And Satan, right. Satan, so you're saying Satan oftentimes just has to get the ball rolling. In what way? I think Satan's temptations are largely external, particularly for the Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I say I don't. I don't believe Satan can do a whole lot of internal influencing of a Christian. 
uh, if, mm-hmm. if any mm-hmm. at all. I, I tend to think none at all. Um, his temptations are external. They're, they're the world and uh, the influences of the world and uh, tempting us from outside. And, and it's really when we succumb to temptation. I think it's like James said, um, how did he say it? Do you remember how he said it about uh, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I, I think uh, he just kind of puts something in front of us. You know, he can manipulate external things outside of us. Mm. He puts that in front of us and he's, he's trusting that our flesh is going to take over and that we're going to yield and lust and then sin. Um, <clears throat> whereas I think for, for unsaved people, I think Satan's influence can be uh, very internal in nature. Um, mm-hmm. So all mm-hmm. he has to do in the world is uh, place things in front of unsaved people to influence their thinking and even uh, get right in there in their head like he, like he entered into Judas, right? Um, mm-hmm. Same mm-hmm. way, I mm-hmm. think he can uh, cause the unsaved world around us to corrupt themselves and become anti-God. And that's, and that's, you know, definitely there's much more to that discussion as far as influence in the unsaved and things like that. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, yeah, that's, thank you. Sure. Um, I think we've got time for one more. Okay. Uh, you want to pick one there? Um, it depends on, on whether or not we uh, can fit it all in. <laughs> Maybe we can do a short version of it. I don't know. Um, okay. This was uh, some things I was thinking about recently in regards to some things that Job said. Again, I'm preaching through Job. And he talked about the grave. Um, okay. And there are a number of phrases and words used in both Old Testament and New Testament that refer to what takes place at death. Okay. And I wrote down several of them here. And I wondered if we could maybe just kind of uh, enumerate them, whichever come to mind, and describe what they are and see if there's any parallels uh, between them. Okay, okay. Okay. So the ones I wrote down here, uh, the word Sheol, which is predominantly a New Testament word. Essentially Um, the place of the dead. Place of the dead, the grave, the Mm -hmm. pit, it's often translated. The word Um, hell... isn't Sheol? Um, Sorry, go ahead. An, a Hebrew word, am I correct? Uh, correct. Uh, yes. An Old Testament word. Okay, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. And then there's the word hell, which we yep. associate with the New Testament. Yeah. Um, Hades. Hades. Yes. Okay. And then there's the word paradise, which, yes. uh, if I'm not mistaken, there's actually both Old Testament and New Testament references to that. Let me think. Um, the thief on the cross. Um, there would be Revelation passages. I think. Um, Paradise. Um, Maybe I'm wrong about there being Old Testament references. I don't, not to Old that. Testament. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then there's the phrase "the third heaven," which Paul brings yeah. in in Second Corinthians. Okay. Which interestingly, in the very same passage, he equates with paradise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's where it starts to get a little complicated. Then there's the word <laughs> Tartarus, which Peter brings in, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I'm trying to remember how it's translated there in English. Tartarus is the the original word there. Um, um, okay, how does Peter, like in chains? Uh, uh, hmm. I think yeah, it's I don't, a, right off the top of my head. Yeah. I'm coming in kind of cold on it. No, no worries. Um, I think it's Second Peter 2 and verse 4 is where that is, um, which interestingly i think uh, there's some elements of um jewish thought in that 
um, possibly even in the, influenced. In the Tartars? Yeah, possibly even influenced okay. by Greek thought. Um, which and and all all I mean by that is that they believed there was a lower part of some form of judgment for that was reserved for the worst of the worst. And in Peter's instance, in using that word, he was speaking of fallen angels um, mm-hmm, in that context. Right. Yes. It's basically saying they're getting the worst of the worst. <laughs> That's where they're hmm. reserved. So he uses yeah. the word Tartarus, which is an interesting choice there. Um, and uh, and then there's, of course, the phrase Abraham's bosom, um, which is used in Luke chapter 16. Um, yeah. In uh, in what I believe is not a parable, well, what I believe is a a true story that uh, mm-hmm. Jesus told there. Uh, any thoughts about these words? Because uh, there there's, I'm not even sure that that we can get through all of them without there being some bleed over between a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't realize we were Man. so close to the end because there's way more on this subject. Than... Yeah, there's like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, let's talk about these seven different uh, uh, biblical terms and how they uh, interrelate and where they're found. <laughs> if you <laughs> want to. Um, yeah. Just carry We it can the just take show. this into the after show. Okay. And, and I apologize, regular listeners and patrons, if you're not an elite patron. Um <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you can always become one. <laughs> Patreon.com slash reason together. <laughs> and see if and see if like our, the after show is more akin to paradise and no, I hate that. I don't want to keep I don't want to make those analogies, but anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, let's uh, probably bid adieu to our regular listeners and thank you for joining the conversation. Any feedback, um, especially that uh, that question about funerals? Yes. But uh, but you know any others that you have along the way? Uh, agreement or disagreement? Look, uh, you don't. <laughs> you're not going to mortally offend us <laughs> if no. uh, if you if you disagree with some of what we're saying. We're reasoning through these things, and oftentimes we're not coming to one solid conclusion. We're just maybe helping move the conversation along. And maybe you've got another thought that helps supplement something or tweaks a conclusion. Anyway, uh, share it with us. We'd be glad to hear it and share it uh, on the uh, on the next on another podcast. Yeah. Well, thank you again for being here with us on this episode. We are encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together. <laughs>